Today we have Austin Ingersoll on the podcast. He personally did 600 loans by himself last year. He's one of the top mortgage professionals in the entire country. I think he was second highest in the state of Utah. Uh, he, he is licensed in the whole West, the whole Midwest, the whole South. They're in 30 states. He has a couple products in particular that I haven't seen before and that I think could benefit so many people, especially if you're an independent contractor or you're looking to get into the short-term rental, the nightly rental, which is Airbnb VRBOs. They have some really cool products for that. We dive into his background, his investing portfolio, and then just specifically with mortgages, rates, his strategy, and then the products that they have to offer. So hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, guys, today we have Austin Ingersoll on the podcast. Welcome, Austin. What's up, guys? So I'm so stoked to jump into things. We're going to go through a couple different things, but Austin's background is in the mortgage industry, so we're going to talk about the market, different investments he's done, and some really cool options, I think, that anybody that's out there that's either looking for an investment property or they're just buying their home to live in, uh, they can work with Austin, and it'll be a good reference. So let's get to know Austin. What's, tell us about your background. Where uh, are you from? Where would you grow up? Sure, sure. So I'm uh I'm from American Fork. Okay. Technically, we I was raised in Highland, but I claim American Fork because I ended up going to American Fork High School and instead you're, of. You're proud of American <laughs> Fork. Every time yes. I talk to you, you're like American yes, Fork. Yes, we're kind of diehards. Uh, we feel like all my siblings ended up going to Lone Peak because we are in the Highland side of things. Yeah. And we kind of call them traitors a little bit because Ingersoll's are <laughs> born and raised American Fork. And if you guys saw where I was building my 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 resting home right now, my final home, yeah, you would you would see my commitment to American Fork because it's kind of in the hood of American Fork. It's you, like in the heart. Have you seen we, it? You I haven't seen it, but we spoke about it. It's like right yeah. by the city center. Yeah, like my two next door neighbors on either side are. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on there, but maybe a little white trash, right? <laughs> like there's a, the guy to the South of us literally has an RV broken down for like 25 years, just sitting in his driveway. Wow. Gravel driveway. It's on hundred East. So it's right downtown by the Macy's now, the fresh market yeah. on the way down to the American Fork Tabernacle. Tabernacle. Yeah. There's a house that you can't miss. Everyone notices it. Yeah, so all in on American Fork. And then We're just to in. give everybody some context on why, your grandpa was a baseball co coach at AF for years. Yeah. How many years? Yeah, so my grandpa was the basketball coach. Oh, basketball coach. And then my uncle is the the baseball coach there now. So and he he was there for probably, I don't know, 20, 25 years because he became the assistant principal. Okay. And then he, then he went to Lone Peak, actually, to coach basketball. Trader. Trader, right? And yes. And, and your other cousin is the coach of Lehigh yep, baseball, right? Yep, Jason. Uh, yep, he's and the coach at Lehigh. Did but, one of them just won the state championship or? Yeah. So Jason. Okay. So Jared has had quite the Jared at AF has won probably four or five state championships. Wow. He just came off a of back to back. That's legit. He was playing in the third state championship in a row. The same time Jason was. So Lehigh's 5A. Yeah. Jared AF is 6A. And so they were both playing at the same time and their brothers. And so it was kind of cool. They used to be in the same division and it was kind of awkward for the family right because <laughs> sure. we all went to af yeah everyone like, were cavemen for if they play each other yeah and then jason 
never really got over the hump. Lehigh never really got over the American Fork hump until this year. Jason actually won, and Jared ended up taking second, which is still awesome. But yeah, for sure. But yeah, so they're they're big baseball guys. And and if you grew up in Utah County, you you probably know the Ingersoll name with baseball. You associate yeah. a lot of it with baseball, baseball. or like coaching or your grandpa. Yeah. If you're older, it was my grandpa. Yeah. If you're younger, it's Jared and Jason sure that's cool so then into school you studied accounting and finance right mm-hmm. yep so i graduated from uvu in accounting started um work at, at health equity as an accountant there and then i decided to try to become a cpa so to be a cpa you have to have at least one year of graduate school and you have to work for a cpa for two years and so um i started i, I moved over to novell they were they have this program where they help you become a CPA. They pay for your master's Shout out program. Shout to Novell, the no, first, the first tech real tech company in Utah. In Utah. Yes, yes. And so, you know, it was actually probably the largest company in Utah at the time. How uh, many employees do you remember? Oh, they have like thousands. They have like companies under companies and subsidiaries here and there. And it's, it's probably in the high thousands of employees. Um, Which so, is crazy because I remember back when I was a kid, like 10 years old, and my buddy's dad worked at Novell, and he retired early, right? Yeah. So that, that was the first true tech guy that I knew. <laughs> and first time I ever thought about tech, you know? Yes, and yes. And he's retiring in his probably late 30s, and we're like, what the heck does your dad do? And he's like, oh, he's working on computers. And like at, a, at yes. the time, like, who works on computers? Yeah, what are computers? In the 90s, right? Yep, yep. But Novell is the OG tech company in the state, and so... I was so shocked to hear you work there. Yeah, yeah, no. And it, it was a great place to work, but I think I, I had a couple learning lessons uh, that corporate America, it, you know, you can have a pretty cush job without being pushed or motivated that For hard. Sure. You pretty much have to be self-motivated. Yeah. So I'll tell you how I trans. So I was uh, on that path to be getting my CPA, kind of going corporate accountant route, one day become a CFO um, was the plan. Uh, Why was that the plan? Uh, I I like numbers. I like I love accounting. I like debits and credits. I like how it all the numbers just tell the story. They're and they the debits and credits always balance. I just I like that. Like yeah. I it's Math I kind of predictable and yeah. Truth be told, about it. truth be told, I could I could live the rest of my life if I if I made the amount of money that I wanted to, I could just live my life inside my little accounting office okay. crunching numbers. Yeah, and that's but, crazy because, like, I can't tell you how many people I know that are on the other side of the coin that they're very extroverted. And I'm like, why are you going to be an accountant? And then they do it for, like, one or two years, and they're like, I can't stand it, you know? <laughs> and then they switch because yes. they can't stay in that little corner and just crunch numbers all yes. day. I think uh, I'm an introvert naturally, yeah. and I've forced myself to become an extrovert to because you kind of have to be extroverted, I think, to, oh, to make any kind of money in this world, Well, I unless mean, you're a super in, genius. You're in the mortgage industry, so so much about that is your network and people, yep. you know, working with people and gaining more business. And so yep. that's crazy to swing from that industry to mortgages. Yeah, so I'll tell you how that happened. I have a good friend. Uh, his name's Johnny Christensen, went to high school together, um, kind of went out on our missions at the same time, came home, and I was always interested in real estate. Uh, just, you know, I've heard billionaires are made through real estate. Yeah. And so I decided to get my real estate license, plus the course at UVU went towards my grad- my, my degree. I got credit okay. for it. That's cool. So I enlisted in it, and then Johnny came home from his mission a semester after me, and he ended up 
just following suit. He's like, oh, you're doing that? I'll do that too. He ended up also following me into an accounting degree. Uh, but what he decided to do was go real estate full time when he was still in college. Mm-hmm. And I think if I could go back, I, I would have probably done that as well. I just wasn't really willing to go out and sell because I am an introvert by nature. Yeah. And so Johnny ended up going full time as an agent, uh, as a real estate agent, agent, started building up his real estate business. He partnered with a guy named Clay Winder. And um, I don't know if any of you guys have heard of Clay, but he sells about as much real estate as anybody in the state of Utah. They have a really big real estate team. They own the Keller Williams down here in Utah County. Okay, Um, Johnny is now the the director of all of Utah. So he runs all the Keller Williams in Utah. Wow. And so he's yeah, he's just built a really good career in real estate. This is about 2013. He kept trying to get me. He knew I had my real estate license. He's like, come join our team. We can build a big real estate business. And I was just like, I can't go sell myself. Like, like I'm good. I, I like crunching my numbers. Yeah. Well, then they decided that maybe a good fit for me would be their mortgage guy. And so I, um, as I'm starting my master's degree in accounting, uh, Johnny had me talk with Clay to see if maybe a career in mortgages would make sense. And I'm thinking there's probably no way, but after I met with Clay, just his optimism and outlook on life and and real estate and the success they were having, I felt like I could really just ride their coattails as the mortgage guy. Um, So they basically any clients they had, they would just push to you guys for the financing and yep, yep, they wouldn't have to go and generate a ton of your own business. Right. I kind of had this foundation of referral source right out the gate. Um, It's huge. So what I did was I actually started. I asked Novell if I could go part-time so I could start doing mortgages part-time at the, uh, as well. And what I realized is I was doing the exact same job part-time for Novell, now at half the pay as I was doing prior. So I don't know what I was doing with those other 20, 25 wow. hours a week, wow. but but they realized that and uh, realized that I was making more money than them doing the mortgages and stuff. And so ultimately that came to an end. But But truth be told, I was getting so busy doing mortgages that we just had to, I had to say goodbye to the accounting world. That's pretty crazy. And fast so. forward now, it's been eight or nine years of mortgages. Mm-hmm. And you did 600 loans just by yourself last year. Yeah. Oh, I have, I have a team. I have a couple of LOs on my team, but, but I technically I originated, yeah, 600 loans, but I, I have to have a pretty good team to fulfill Which, that amount of loans. To put that in perspective, what is the average person do in a year, you know, 30, 40, I don't I, have no I idea. I would say, uh, 30 to 40 for a, yeah, for a loan officer would be pretty good. That's okay. a pretty good that's year. That's a good year. Yeah. That's a pretty good and year. You did 600. So, I mean, this is insane. You got to be one of the top in the country, I would guess. Uh, yeah. So we are on, if you go and look at the magazines that show you the top originators in the country, we were, we actually broke through on the top 100 last year and that's in the nation. And wow. that, and that's based off loan volume, actually, not units. Um, so we're lucky here in Utah that house prices are where they're at, loan amounts higher than are other where states. At. Yeah, but the the guys who get those top numbers are guys in New York, California, sure. who are doing two million multi, dollar multi loans million over dollar. and over again. Yeah. So, but the six hundred that just blows my mind. I'm sure real estate agents' numbers are pretty similar. Wouldn't you guess that the average agent is probably doing twenty or thirty yeah. homes a year? Yep. So, I mean, just to put that in perspective, imagine somebody selling 600 homes. Yeah. Dude, that's insane. It's, it's that a, is insane. It's a lot of business. We're pretty, 
I mean, we're, we're happy doing it. We're, we're lucky. We have really, really good referral partners. At the end of the day, that's who sends us the business, trusts us with their clients. Um, and we feel like we do a good job because we get a lot of repeat customers. They come back to us over and over. That's cool. Well, one of the reasons why I want to have you on and pick your brain is just to learn from you in the investing world. So what have you been doing in your personal investing life the last eight years? Um, the last, so mostly real estate, just because when you're in the industry, sure. you, you're a believer in you, it and you believe it, yeah. you're out there telling clients to do it. And so you should probably also be doing it right. Yeah. It's pretty hard to go say, Hey, you should buy an investment property. Well, how many do you have? Well, none. <laughs> yeah. well, we're working towards it. Yeah. Um, I've, so, uh, I pretty much put every penny I could into, into the real estate world. And we've been doing it pretty much since day one between Johnny Clay and I, Kay. um, we kind of followed the the um, richest man in ba- Babylon as an important book to us is kind of where we hundred percent we've kind of set our goals and and um, if you haven't read it read it it's a short quick read but it's so powerful it's one of the books I don't know how you feel about it but for me it's one I like to visit every couple years yeah yeah I'm, it's just a foundational book yeah for us it was important and it's just always a good reminder to even analyze. I don't know, you go through these different phases. And as an accountant, it helped me to be able to write budget. Like, I love budget. I like forecasting. I like doing all that stuff. And even now, doing it now where I've gotten to a certain point with my passive income and the income that we generate off mortgages and everything where, you know, there's there's an abundance, so it's easy to spend extra money. It's yeah. easy to kind of lose track of those those dimes. And so it's a good book to always just go back and say, okay, where can I tighten up? Which Apple service can I get rid of this month and or That's whatever, cool. right? So, yeah. yeah, no, it's definitely a good foundation book. Um, for And it kind of set the course for Johnny Clay and I. I mean, if you looked at kind of what we went through to start acquiring properties, uh, we sacrificed a lot. I lived in my first house I bought. I And this is becoming more of a norm because people – can't afford houses otherwise, but we, the first house I bought was a house in Saratoga Springs. Okay. It, I bought it for 200 and like 5,000. It was like a 3,200 square foot house. Okay. The payment on it was like 1200 bucks. Right. And wow. I'm crapping my pants cause I'm well, in your first house. I think everybody goes yeah. through those emotions. Like, can I commit to this? Yes. Yes. Like, how am you I going to come up with this. that money? So here's what I did. Cause I was so afraid of it. Um, I actually finished the basement with an apartment. And instead of us living upstairs in the main area, we actually yeah. moved into the basement and Your just rented out the it. up floor. Yeah. yeah. And so, and we. What did you rent upstairs for? Do you know? Uh, we rented it for like 1300 at so the time. So you were cash flowing. Oh yeah. So I was living for free that's in the basement and, and that's kind of what started it all for. And Johnny Clay did the exact same things. And so pretty much every real estate investment I've done has been with Johnny and Clay. Okay. Um, and then how we acquired properties was we would move into them right so we would okay we would rent out the upstairs and downstairs now of my saratoga house and then i went and bought a house in well what i actually did from there i'll have to rewind because i started my mortgage business right so i okay. uh, i'm not i i live pretty cautiously like like i know i've taken a lot of risks in my life and and investments but i for the most part i it scares me, right? I'm I'm a You're very cautious, conservative, scrappy. More, yeah, more yeah. conservative I think than people realize because it does scare me. Like uh, just not being able to make that payment. I saw a lot of family uh, go through 08, and I don't think 
to this day, some of them have recovered from what happened in 08. Uh, not necessarily financially, but emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, losing their houses, uh, losing their businesses, losing uh, lots of lots of their assets just for one reason or another because of that market crash. Yeah. And instead of looking at that in their perspective from, hey, that happened to the majority of people then, I think they feel like they failed and, and have had a really hard time recovering it. But me seeing that has really put a lot of fear into just into my mind and saying, I don't ever want to be that guy. So I've just been very cautious to not get to that point. Um, so when I started my mortgages, even though things had already started going good, you just never know when that faucet will get turned off. And so I actually, <laughs> I actually moved into, and I don't know if I should make this public information or not. I've told very few people this, but I moved into my in-laws basement in Alpine. Okay. That first year we lived there, I, like was my biggest income year I had like ever had. Yet we were living in my in-laws basement <laughs> in Alpine because I just didn't know when the mortgage market yeah. would turn off. Right. So they're thinking they're doing you a big favor. Yeah. And you're just yes. crushing yes. life with yes. your business. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I think, uh, yes, but I do think, you know, hindsight and even you probably feel like this too. Like you have one good year and it doesn't really oh, totally. equate to you for sure actually being set up for life. Totally. It is definitely a marathon. Yeah. And so that one good year, we saved what we could, but the whole idea was we're going to save and then buy a house. And we only lived there maybe for 10 months. And then we ended up just finding another house in PG that had an apartment and then moved into it. And then we just kind of followed that, that pattern of, uh, you know, five, 10% down yeah. owner occupied properties that maybe have an apartment or not. And just kind of followed that suit until we got to the point where we had enough money that we could start buying properties as investments with 20, 25% down. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of how we got into the investing world. And Johnny Clay and I were doing that all kind of at the same time in our, in our entity. Um, And just getting more and more properties in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. One thing we always talk about in our company is consistency over intensity all day, every day. Right. Yeah. Cause you can have a good year. Cool. What about next year? Yeah. And you don't want to back yourself into a corner. I actually want to drill down into something you said. If, if you're new to real estate and you haven't invested before, there's a strategy behind besides like being conservative and scrappy. Why Austin was moving into those first couple properties each time. It's because the loan is different if it's owner occupied versus if it's an investment property, right? Yeah. Do you want to just break that down? for somebody that's never invested in real estate? Yeah, yeah. And obviously our poor kids because our daughter, I think, has been to like four or five elementary schools and she's going into fifth grade this year. But we finally settled in American Fork, Shelly Elementary. Yeah, she's good. That's the place. That's the place. But yeah, no, you, the, the, there's, there's definitely a difference between when you're going to live in a home versus when you're buying an investment property that you're planning on renting. Uh, not only for yourself, but for the investor. If you look at that from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and investor standpoint, um, they want to have you put down more money on an investment property because the way they view it is that, okay, you know, if Brandon has his own house that he lives in and he has an investment property and the market tanks and he loses those renters, which house payment are you going to make first? Are you going to make your house you live in payment first, or are you going to make that investment property first? They believe, and I don't know if I'm this case, I am now that I built this final house for me where that my final house, I will, I never want to lose. Right. Yeah. But 
but going through our investment strategies and stuff, I actually was probably more willing to walk away from my owner occupied property than an investment because an investment I see as a future passive income for the rest of my life. Whereas that, sure. the house I live in is an, an expense. But you're probably an anomaly there. And I would say that it's probably not just belief then they're probably running massive amounts yeah. of data and statistics yeah. <laughs> to say, okay. Yeah, they're it's, right. It's the second. They're, definite, they're, they're definitely I mean, right, but let's change people's perspective. Yeah. But yeah, but the, the theory is, yeah, that, that people They'll will that make their home. their home they live in is yeah. the priority and For they sure. will make that payment come hell or high water. And so that's why you get a better rate on an owner occupied property and you can get in with, with, low money down. Let's give everybody an idea. Let's quantify that. What's mm -hmm. the rate difference and what's the money down difference? So today's rate, you're probably on an owner-occupied property somewhere around 5%, uh, okay. depending on how much you put down. If you put down 25% or more, then you're probably sub five. If you're, if you're putting down minimum, and this is kind of the benefit to it, uh, you can get into uh, owner-occupied property actually at 100% financing in some cases, but usually... What we try to get people to do is 5% down because that gets them into a conventional loan, which is the best type of loan you can get uh, based off mortgage insurance and yeah. costs and rate and all that together. It's it's the best that, option. That's a huge deal. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're looking at a $500,000 house, right? Yep. Now you're talking 25 grand down Yep. if you're going to live there. Yep. Now, if you're not going to live there and you're just going to either Airbnb it or you're going to get long-term rentals, renters in there, what type of percentage? 20, 30, 25? Yeah. So you're 20. So you're, 20. so if it's a single family home, you're, you're 20% down. Um, so same scenario, that $500,000 house. Now you're saying a hundred thousand dollars down to get into that house yep. where it would have been 25 grand. Yep. So now you can see why Austin was living in these properties as you were growing your portfolio. Yeah. It's way easier to acquire more properties. If you're trying to get a lot of doors, if you live there for a year or two, because again, 25K versus 100K, it's a big gap. Yeah, it's a huge gap. And it makes that, I mean, really the entry barrier for acquiring rental properties usually isn't the income, the debt to income ratios. It is usually the down payment down requirement. Payment. Yeah. And so that's why we were sacrificing, you know, our kids, not security, but our kids stability maybe. Um, and mine and Andrea's like, you know, we move into a ward, you get to know everybody, then you move out and, yeah. you, you know, and so it is a little bit of a sacrifice, but it was one that we thought of, Hey, you know, if we make those sacrifices now, like richest man in Babylon, yeah. um, make them now so that you can live like others can't later. Later. Yeah. So I love, love that quote. So you've done a lot, like what type of stuff were you investing in? It sounds like the first couple were single family homes. Yep. Did you stay single family? Did you go multifamily? Did you get into commercial? Uh, yeah, I feel like it's kind of turned into a little bit of a monopoly game where it's kind of like, hey, these single family homes built up a lot of equity. We had been receiving rent for them. Uh, and now we've sold a bunch of them and we've moved into multifamily. We bought in a bunch of office uh, commercial buildings. Um, and we see that as kind of being our strategy going forward. Single family is so risk-free. It is that they're actually great, and we will always have single family in our portfolio. Um, but due to the tax benefits that you get from commercial buildings and um, some of the economies of scale, I guess, from buying multifamily, yeah, it, it, it's probably good to have every single one of those as, as part of your goal and strategy to acquire all of those different kinds of properties in your portfolio. I, I totally agree. I think it's really good to be diversified. And I was going to ask you, but as it sits right now, is there any one category that you like more than others? Um, 
Well, I would still say I like, um, I probably still like single family more than the others. Okay. Uh, they're easier to manage. Uh, they're, uh, they're, to me, again, I live a life out of uh, always, I'm, I'm always cautious. Yeah. Uh, Johnny and Clay, they're a little bit more aggressive. And they're ultimately, I, I do owe a lot of my success to them because they've always forced me to dream bigger, think bigger, go further, mm-hmm. and kind of pushed my, my risk tolerances. Um, and so that's why we have kind of moved up to those, but I still like single family better. Um, they're easy to get into. They're low risk. Uh, there'll always be a need for them. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of talk on office space right now. Is it going to be needed after COVID? Sure. Are those areas going to start shrinking or people going to start moving into, you know, places like your guys' building, the flex type space? Yeah. And so, and so there's definitely some worry there, whereas single family homes will always be in demand. So if, if you could go back 24 years old and you start out your career, would you follow the same type of investment path that you did or would you switch anything about it looking at single family, multifamily, commercial? Um, I, I might be, I would probably still do it because even starting at 24, you don't have a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, you don't have a ton of cash. Um, and so that's where the owner occupied. So going in and buying owner occupied is, is a really great way to start acquiring properties and then converting them to rentals where people are paying the mortgage. Usually the property is appreciating, you're getting some tax benefit. Um, and so there's just so many good things about doing that. What I think I would try to do is try to get into multifamily faster. Um, I think hindsight's always great and it actually gets rid of a lot of my, my worry uh, I just think I created my own barricade, and I still do to this day. I just uh, think there's a lot faster track to getting bigger and better uh, if you get rid of some of that stuff. And now looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, we could have done that, and now mm-hmm. we would be own, we would own a lot more multifamily had we done that and being able to build quite a bit bigger portfolio. But due to fear or whatever, we just didn't, right? Sure. And there's also the other like cash restraints and stuff like that. But I just, there's, I always feel like in this world, if you find a good deal, then the money will come. You can always structure deals or figure out other ways to acquire property and get creative. And I I think had we been a little bit more bold and and not so risk adverse, we would have been able to, to just push that limit better. And if you look at all the people who, the difference between guys who own hundreds of doors and guys who don't are they actually just go out and do it right like just push a little bit harder. they just push a little bit yeah. harder they're a little bit more fearless um and they make it happen yeah well that's that's good advice i know recently you've also been starting to invest in other places mm-hmm. buying companies things like that i guess a couple questions there why did you transition to that and how's it going uh i think i transitioned for a couple reasons uh one pretty much my whole investment portfolio was real estate. And uh, I just felt like there's better passive income out there. I feel like I created a good enough foundation with the real estate that now, hey, I can go take some chances on businesses. And and it, I, I felt like my maybe my nest egg or my, my net worth was pretty stable. And now, hey, let's go start swinging for the fences by buying companies and try to create real passive income. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I had a really good friend. Um, we actually went to high school together as well. We, we, we didn't get along too well in high school. Uh, we knew each other. Uh, ultimately what happened was he, he's, 
he got me a job when I graduated in, in accounting at Health Equity. So we were working as accountants together. He got me the job because I grew up with his wife, and his wife was like, hey, get Austin a job. And he didn't want to do it. <laughs> really? He didn't want to do it, but then he, he did to make his wife happy, and then we became really good friends. We wow. carpooled together for like two and a half years, and we just always talked about doing more, doing stuff. Um, once I started getting a lot of success in the mortgage world, he had moved on from health equity to a company called WW Clyde and was on their, he became a controller and was part of their mergers and acquisitions team. That's he, one of the biggest construction companies here in Utah too. Yeah. Context, but yeah, they, they do pretty much everything in the construction world. You name it, they either provide the supplies or do it themselves. Um, and he was part of the mergers and acquisitions team. So WW Clyde's out there buying companies, right? And Brian was a part of that, that those acquisitions. And he just saw how much money was being made how these companies were bought and he was he was making great money with great benefits and a lot of security and he just wasn't happy and so you know we would go to lunch maybe once a month and just talk about his exit strategy how he would could go start his own thing and we talked a lot about him burning his boats i i i think there's you guys have you heard of that yeah we, that we use that all the time like I go burn it. your boats someone said it was napoleon but i don't think it was napoleon was it cortez or somebody i think it was cortez and his strategy was to burn the boat so there was no retreat right yeah and and so we just talked about that a lot hey you got to burn your boat you got to quit i kind of thought he would do it if he had something lined up like okay you're going to go start a mortgage you're going to come do mortgages Perfect. Go get your mortgage license, get it all going, and quit your other job. He flat out just quit one day. Nothing nothing lined up. Nothing to go to. Yeah, nothing to go to. Like, (laughs) absolutely burnt his boat and decided he's going to go bet on himself, right? And uh, when he did this, uh, I actually kind of made a proposal where I offered to give him a salary to go figure it out. But then ideally I was hoping that I could become his partner in whatever he figured out. And that's that's kind of what happened. He appreciated the fact that we put him on salary and just made sure he had income coming in so he made the right decision. Because I do think people make bad decisions when they get financially burdened or financially stressed, sure. right? They, totally. They make an immediate decision that impacts their long term, and it's, it's not always what would be best for them. And so we just tried to take that stress away so he can make a really good decision. And luckily he found a company that um, the guy was going through a hard time, uh, had a really good uh, concrete company. They do a lot of commercial concrete. And uh, through Brian's networking and the people he knew from Clyde, eventually he got introduced to him and just met with him over maybe six months. And we closed on that and it's been literally the best investment Brian and I have ever made in our lives. And since then, now we, I, I don't know anything about concrete still. And I think Brian gets tired of the question because people ask him this all the time. Well, why did you partner with Austin, right? Like, what does Austin have to do with anything? Uh, but I think well, at the end of the day, Brian, I and I realize, hey, we're going to build this thing bigger than just one company where that you're managing. And he's yeah. already gotten the people in place. And he's trying to look at it more of a, a business, right? Uh, hey, I'm going to go acquire businesses and put key people into the right places. Sure. And that's what, so we just, we saw how good it can be. It's separate from the real estate world. Um, 
And it just a little bit of, it was a way for me to diversify and um, start swinging for fences with companies that produce a lot of revenue. Yeah. And, and it, but at the end of the day, it was basically me betting on Brian, Brian. and Brian totally. having enough, really maybe love for me that he was willing to let me be a partner and invest and yeah. come up with the capital to buy the company. And now we've done it twice. We bought a second company and we've got a couple other companies we've been looking at. And we think this is a route that we definitely want to go down because um, we're getting better at analyzing it. Yeah. It's really fun. We enjoy it. Um, and we get to do some cool things with it. What was the other company? So the first was a concrete company. It was another concrete company. They're both are concrete. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Brian, that that's just such a valuable position, right? When for your job, you get a look under the hood of different companies yes. for your company that you're working at to say, yes. let's acquire this one or not. You can see all their financials, right? You can see what they're being acquired for. You can see all the problems. Like you get access yes. to everything. It's front row tickets to like a very valuable event. Yeah. And then if you leave and go do your own thing, that, that knowledge is worth a ton. Yeah. And I've invested in a bunch of companies, both locally and outside the state. But every single time, one of my mentors told me, you don't invest in the company, you invest in the jockey. It's yeah. the person. It's the person that's going to make that thing work or not. Yeah. That's Brian, right? Yep. Yep, 100%. It probably could have been a food company. It probably could have been a software company, but ultimately you were making the bet on Brian. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's exactly, I had no clue what he was going to do. I literally just bet on Brian, and he knows that too. And I think, again, that's part of the reason why he was willing to see me as a partner Yeah, was because he knew. I said, I didn't know how successful the concrete, comp and concrete company was going to be. I don't think he had any idea how successful it was going to be. Sure. Um. And, and at the end of the day, we still, he knows I would have bet on him regardless of the success. And at, and if we were making $50,000 a year, I'd be just as happy because I'm working with my friend. Yeah, it's making cool. money yeah. as we are, if it was making hopefully in the future, like $5 million a year. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's fun. Well, it's cool it's that you good. believed in him enough to put him on salary when he didn't know what his next move was. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. why am I partnered with Austin? Well, he believed in me. Yeah. He supported me when I didn't have anything. Yeah. And that bought him time, right, to go and find that opportunity. So Yeah. Yeah, and to make sure it was the right one. And but yeah, it it's been really good. It's been fun and it's kind of opened my eyes to just hey, this world has so many opportunities and it is a true abundance. Yeah. And let's just do it with our friends. Let's do it with the people we like to be around. It's crazy like just the different types of companies. I learn new stuff every week about this industry is really good and they actually have a really high net margin and this industry, wait, what that industry, yeah. like just, it's kind of cool to learn about all these different things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's, it's fun to see. So our clients are mostly guys who build like flex spaces like this, either concrete tilt up or uh, the red iron buildings or just pour like huge cement pads and to know the equipment that it takes. But then to also see how much money these guys make off building these yeah. and everything that goes into it, it's just, it's cool. That's awesome. It's kind of cool. Well, let's talk. Let's get into mortgages for a minute. Okay. What's going on with rates? Like it was weird for me to hear you say 5% because it wasn't that long ago that it was a lot lower than that. It felt like it happened so fast. Yes. So I got into the mortgage world and like you always hear, 
right? I'm sure you guys have heard like your parents say, yeah. well, about the 80s. 5% is not that bad. Yeah. When I first got my mortgage, it was like 13%, yeah. but it's like, well, you bought your house for 80 grand, like 13% yeah. on 80 grand, you're paying a thousand bucks a month still. Sure. Now we're talking about 5%, maybe 6% rate on a $700,000 starter home. And it's, so it's, it's definitely changed the market. Um, I, I do like some of the perspective. One of the accounts we work with is Patterson Homes, and they've they've been in business here in Utah County for like seventy five years, and they they have confirmed or they've just reaffirmed that these conversations about affordability and um, rates and house pricing, how will anyone afford it, have been a conversation for the whole seventy five years. Every time there's a little bit of a market shift, sure. everyone starts thinking, "Oh, no one can is going to be able to make those payments." Yeah. Like. And they just reaffirm, it all figures itself out. The market pushes and pulls until everyone finds that that supply and demand and that affordability, and it kind of always works. The equilibrium, it'll swing from one side to the other, like we've just seen a dramatic swing, and then... You know, sometimes it goes back and forth till it finds that resting spot in the middle or. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think we might experience another swing to the other yeah. side and might see this market pull back quite a bit. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think human beings are, are smart. I think they figure things out no matter what the problem is. Like, for ex- like people start renting out their, they, they buy a house, move into the basement and rent out the upstairs or they yeah. buy a house with their parents and, and they figure out ways to make, all situations work, um, but 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 the market keeps going forward, and and those same conversations keep coming up. But to answer the question about rates, so they are the highest rates I've ever had to be a part of. Uh, Your eight nine eight, years in my eight or nine years. What and do you think they'll do the next year? So I'm probably a little bit more optimistic than most. Um, I know inflation is becoming a, a a problem, and it's pretty hard to curb. Um, I went to a builder. I do think part of the inflation problem is supply. And I actually think our supply is starting to round out. And I went to this builder top 100 uh, national conference. And they're saying by quarter four of this year, quarter going into quarter one of next year, for the most part, the supply chain will be almost back to full capacity, Wow! which will help ease the burden of building. Right. Um, and, and those time frames. And I think by doing that, if the supply starts meeting the demand then that inflation doesn't become such a problem where all of a sudden people are putting one hundred thousand dollars over asking price or whatever, sure. causing inflation. Yeah. Um, granted, I know there's a lot more to inflation outside of the housing industry, but I would say it's probably the biggest factor in inflation um, just because it's such a huge part of our economy right now. Um so I, I am a little bit more optimistic that that the housing market is just settling. It's not it's not gonna recess or, or really fall out. There won't be a, a an 08 again um, because in 08, a the mortgage world, and I'm I'm gonna excuse the loan officers because all we do is sell the product that the banks come out with for the record. So it's not us. Okay. It's the banks uh, that, that we're no longer coming out with products that really people aren't qualified for, uh, whether that's the property or the person they were giving loans that people should never have been getting. Uh, and so we don't have that. There was also an oversupply in 08. 
builders were building like crazy and there wasn't the demand for it. Um, and that's part of the reason why these products were coming out to help create demand, to help houses sell. We're still in a shortage of houses. Uh, we met with a really good real estate team yesterday who gave us some pretty good statistics. So right now there's about 5,000 houses on the market in Utah County, 5,000 active listings on the market. A healthy market is 20,000. Yet because there's- For Utah specifically? Uh, this is for Utah County. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So a healthy market for Utah County is 20,000. Yet 5,000 and everyone's freaking out, right? Hey, we're still like 15,000 under a normal market or a healthy market. That's great perspective. So our supply is still pretty short for yeah. our demand. Um, and so- it's just, I think people are in a little bit of a panic mode because it, it's different than it's been the last two years. Well, people, you were talking about 08. And like you said, my experience is similar that people that have recovered financially from 08, they're still very scarred emotionally from 08. And so I think what I'm seeing is that people, the slightest indicator of another 08 Yep. And I, you can see where their mind goes. Now, I'm not saying, oh, it's going to happen or not again. I'm just saying people, if you knew people that had investments or, you know, they own their home, it was a, it was a crazy time and it caused a lot of hurt and people took a big setback either in their equity or their investment portfolio, whatever. And so people naturally get scared of that again. I mean, people that are ready to retire it could set them back 10 years if it takes a big dip. So it really impacts their life. Yeah, I, I agree 100% that a lot of the panic is carryover from what happened in 08. And, and people who kind of went through that and, and now are seeing a potential market turn again, and they are just scared to death. And at the end of the day, the housing market if you, no matter what, if you analyze it correctly, and this is, again, my opinion but I think it could be backed up. If you look at anyone who didn't sell in OA or panic or who, who didn't have to sell and held on, yeah, their houses are worth probably 20, 30% more now than they were in 08 anyway. Sure. So the housing sure. market over time will always rebound. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you analyze it like that, then I think you can still make the right financial decision with the market. But I, but with rates increasing on the mortgage side of things, we are changing our strategy a little bit. We're starting to, um, we're starting to well on the investment side. We're changing our strategy because the majority of our business does come from purchase business. So agents referring us business, or we work with a handful of the builders in the state. Um, but we want to start getting into the investing side and really take over the investing world uh, as far as mortgages go. What we're realizing is people, we've lost the investors in Utah. It's slowing it down big time with the rates. Yeah. Because everything's, well, not everything, but a lot of the investor mindset is based off cap rate. Yeah. And what you're going to be able to collect. And now that higher, you know, couple percent increase in the rate is going to change your payment. And so everything, it's a spreadsheet. It just checks yep. out or it doesn't, right? So yep. I'm sure investments are changing a lot right now. Yeah. I feel like the you have the cash flow analysis and that is getting really hard with a higher rate um, especially on the purchase price piece too because because part of the analysis is the cash flow but then also the, the ability to create equity right the appreciation of the house and what you can hopefully expect over time with appreciation the last two years you had a lot of speculative buying you had people 
putting houses under contract with the builder. The builder builds it for eight months, and when they close on it, their house is suddenly worth seventy, eighty thousand dollars more than it was when they went under contract. Sure, which is crazy. And I think a lot of people went and started putting houses under contract. Well, now with the market and, and maybe the consumer confidence starting to round out the appreciation where people kind of are feeling like, hey, this isn't going to be something I put under contract. And when I close, I'm going to have a ton of equity anymore, uh, oh, built-in equity. It's something that I'll probably put under contract and then close for the same price that I put it under contract for. And so when you take that piece out, it has stopped investors co from coming in and, and buying rentals. Uh, maybe not completely because there's yeah. still deals out there and there's still opportunities out there in Utah. But we feel like where where investors are going to put their money is out of state and that we're betting on the Midwest and the South. So our team has started to move down the path. Of, primarily, our business has been Utah with a deal here or there out of state. We're starting to move down this path of getting licensed in every single state we can, especially the ones where we feel like there's there's investment opportunity, where house prices are still low enough compared to rents to make it make sense. And yeah. so that that's the path we've been going down, um, and, and that's what we're betting on. I've, I've seen that a lot, both in like my personal investing and, and friends, is that Utah just experienced such a fast, dramatic incline in prices and Idaho that you want to try and find the states that didn't appreciate so much so fast. There's still some good opportunities. Let's uh, let's jump into, you guys have some really unique products, it seems like. I mean, I'm in the process of building three investment properties right now. Um, actually, three, three short-term rentals, but three long-term right now. And so I'm trying to figure out every type of option that's out there from the financing perspective. You brought up a couple different unique products. Let's talk about those, the stated income and a really cool investment uh, product as well. Yeah, so we've, uh, I think the market's kind of paying attention to, uh, at least banks and investors are, right? Where people are now starting to buy properties, basing it off a nightly rental model as opposed to a long-term rental model. And so uh, we've, we've We've been focusing on that as well, and so we've found a few products that we want to roll out uh, to self-employed individuals and um, and investors where sometimes it doesn't make sense to go Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Uh, on a long-term rental, if you have the income, your probably best bet is still to go with a normal investment product. Uh, meaning a, a conforming loan, right? A, right? a product that would go to Fannie or Freddie. These other products are considered uh, non-qualified mortgage products, non-QM. They're, they're private money. They're kind of, in a sense, a version of hard money, um, but it's long-term programs. Uh, it, it's just a little bit more expensive because of the risk tolerance associated with the, the product and, and sure. the qualifying and so these products are geared very much towards nightly rentals. Uh, so, for example, the one product is uh, the investment one you reference was it's it's called the DSCR, a debt service coverage ratio product. It's it's 100% based off. Well, credit score is important, so I shouldn't say 100% based off, but you still have to have the credit, good enough credit to qualify. Uh, but then. There's really no borrower qualifying other than credit score, meaning we don't look at your income. We don't really need to look at your assets other than you have to put down 20%. Uh, and uh, above and beyond that, the analysis is 
how the property itself performs as far as renting goes. So they'll look at the net income of the property after you consider maintenance, property management fees, vacancies, all that. They'll, they'll, they'll figure out what the net income for the property is. Yeah. And then yeah. they'll uh, compare that to what your monthly debt payment would be. And that's called your debt service checks ratio. Out. Yeah. So this is so, so massive. I personally have never seen a product like this, but we know that the nightly rentals, that's a growing industry, right? And so yeah. I'm sure companies want to cater to that audience, but this is so big. So let's just go through a scenario. What this means is, let's say you're in your low twenties, you're just starting out your career and maybe you're starting to come into a lot of money. You're making a lot of money, but you don't have all, you know, sometimes you guys want two year history or that's what they'll hear from different companies. What we're talking about is if you want to buy an Airbnb, they're going to look at the balance sheet and the cash flow statements to see is this a profitable unit as itself? Not what do you make or not make. This investment that you're buying, is it profitable or not? And if it is, then you guys will loan against that regardless of their income. And that is so, so big if you're trying to get into that niche of real estate. Yeah, it, it could. it's a game changer. And I actually think they've been around for a little while. They're just going to, I do think they're just going to be more popular going forward because of the properties that are be the demand for vacation rentals. And so, so the only thing is it has to have a history. Mm -hmm. So you, you couldn't probably build one from scratch, nope. new construction, the, right? No, there's still, no, if it, nope, you can actually, there's still multiple ways to analyze it. They can go off market data. Really? Um, you can pull market data. Yep. Wow. So um, you could give them like an estimate based off other it, comps in the area. If you're trying to do it off nightly rentals, you would, you would have to, you'd have to come up with some pretty credible data to do it. Do you guys use AirDNA? Yeah, we could okay. use AirDNA. Because mm -hmm. every short-term rental that I've had, I've looked at that, and that's helpful, right? Because that's your comps. You can yep. see what other short-term rentals in that area, What you can see the percentage of occupancy throughout the year, throughout the months, the high months, the low months. You can see the average nightly rental. I mean, you can see everything pretty much. Yeah. So they could pull comps from that and... Yeah, and that, use that, that to validate crazy. it. Yeah, I think if you if you think about it, it, to me it makes more sense even sometimes than a regular Fannie Freddie loan, right? To because, pay a little bit more interest. Yeah, but just to go off of that, go off the performance of yeah. the actual rental property. Totally. Uh, because I, I mean, even in a, it's really hard. Investors are always trying to take their data and predict, you know, who's going to make their mortgage payment yeah. at the end of the day, right? And with with if you look at what's been happening with people buying vacation rentals and maybe you're guilty of this, I'm probably guilty of this without fully disclosing it publicly here, but, <laughs> but people will buy a vacation rental through a second home type loan program, right? Without saying, Hey, look, I'm going. So, so there's been ways when you buy a vacation rental. So what does that mean? Is that different money down? Cause all the ones yeah. I've done, we've had to clearly state like, yeah. So if you make, if you make enough money to qualify personally, you can buy, like, for example, if Brandon wants to buy a home down in St. George uh, and you want to buy it as an Airbnb, okay, you don't have to. You can actually get it as a vacation home loan, which is lower money down and a lower interest rate. What, what percentage are we talking? So you can get it with 10% down. Wow, that's a big difference. Yeah, as long as you qualify Huge. for the, the monthly payment. Sure, but then that's going off of more your personal income. Yeah. Versus the unit, right? Yes, which can also change. 
people's businesses can sure. slow down or whatever. So they're they're literally qualifying you for this property as a vacation rental. But to me, that's way more risk for the investor than a DSCR loan, where they're looking at the property for what that you're going to use to it for. Sure. And they're saying, this is the performance of that asset. Yeah. We should lend on that based off of the performance of that asset. And so, um, so I do think it's probably a, a really good way. Mm. And a, it probably, and again, this kind of goes back to talking about the products in 08. It seems like, okay, so we're talking about stated income programs. This is what happened in 08. Well, not, not really. Um, because there's still, you still have to put down enough money. Yeah. To, it's more money down. It's now. still more money yeah, down. For sure. So it's, it's considered still an asset based loan. Um, but they're looking at the performance of the property and, and to be honest, no one's really dealt with vacation rentals at this, uh, at like this scale. At this we, scale, it like wasn't happening, you know. And it really is crazy. So, hypothetically, I could be making fifty grand a year, and if I find a really profitable unit, I might qualify for that loan. So, without naming names, I, I just visiting my 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 sister and brother in law down in Atlanta last week. Okay, and there's a guy down there who's deciding that he wants to build his business off vacation rentals yeah he has absolutely no income right now and he just got a dscr loan because of the property so he does he so well and he said he just didn't want to file taxes right and so he doesn't have any taxes it was straight off his off of the performance of the property and i at least for me so this isn't investment advice at all this is just me talking about my experience i was with our short-term rentals i was way less concerned about what exactly rate are we getting in all this? Because there was a lot more margin for error. We had a lot more income coming in on the nightly rentals than our long-term rentals, right? The long-term rentals is like this little sliver at first of cash flow, but our short-term is like there's cushion there. So I wouldn't be concerned if I'm paying an extra percent on this. What is it? DSCR loan? Yeah. DSCR. Yeah. Then, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know if it's a huge deal for me personally. Well, I think it would check out all day still. So so part of the reason that we were able to build our business, and this is going maybe into the weeds a little bit, but I want to share it because it touches on what you just mentioned. So so in the accounting world, there's a thing called working capital, right? Yeah. So if you can go leverage and borrow money to save your working capital, uh, whether you're paying a higher interest rate or not, it, it, it usually still makes sense. Like the interest difference is is an expense and i get people are always rate sensitive and they always want to you know the the richest man in babylon or really a lot of our culture just tells you to you know be frugal yeah um but i think sometimes people people sacrifice uh and and take on an opportunity cost because of their unwillingness to take a higher rate right based off what you're saying it's sure hey look i'm not i'm if I if this is the only product I have, or if it's a product that is really easy for me to get, and I can get multiple, I can go get fifteen Airbnbs. Whereas if you just try to go the normal route and get the best interest rate, you're looking at three or four. Okay, well you just had a you have ten properties you now don't have. So you what was your opportunity cost there? Yeah. As opposed to paying sure. one or two percent higher interest sure. rate. And so to me, to me, there's definitely. People need to not consider interest rates so much uh, at just find the right asset where the interest rate still makes sense. Yeah, love that. What's the other product, the stated income one? I haven't heard of anything like that for 10 years now. So we literally just 
rolled this out. Um, it, it is a little bit more expensive. So we actually have, I'm going to tell you about two more products. Okay, sweet. So one of them is an investment only stated income. Well, it's not even stated income. It, they're really just no income. We don't look at the income at all. They're both asset-based only loans. The downside to both of these is that the rates actually can be competitive. You're going to be anywhere from six and a half to eight percent, depending on your credit qualifying, okay. uh, meaning credit score. It's a couple uh, points higher. It's going to be yes, but where where it is a downside is uh, the upfront cost is going to be anywhere from two to three points. Mm. And so when you're talking in in closing costs, yeah. and so that's to them the offset to the extra to risk they're taking work. yeah, to make it work for them. It's all calculated. That's the thing. If you're new to investing, the bank is always going to be very calculated in their decision. You're either going to pay more up, uh, up front mm-hmm. or you're going to pay more on the back end. Yep. But either way, they're going to get paid and cover their basis. Yep, exactly. And so um, both of these products, one is just, it's basically stated income. You can buy a property with 15% down up to $3 million for your primary residence. Right. Okay. And and second home, you can do it with 20% down up to like one and a half million. But if it's your primary residence, there's no income. So this isn't a, this isn't a, this isn't no longer based off the performance of the Got property. It. Got it. it is literally, hey, you put down enough money, we'll give you the loan. No matter what your income is. Yes. Wow. Yes. And, and what about you're just going to pay. What if I'm, let's say I'm selling solar, I'm a contractor, yep. I'm, I'm making a lot of money. I just don't have that two year history. Yeah. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care. This is huge. Yeah. What we're talking about real estate agents, Uber drivers, sales yep. reps, yep. whatever. Like that's, yeah. this loan f- is for you probably. Yeah. You go and make a hundred grand and you have it sitting in the bank. And cause I, you know, we do a lot of loans. We work with a lot of self-employed people and Utah to, typically has a lot of guys who knock door to door and are self-employed. Sure. Totally. Right. And what they do at the end of the year, they, they, have right either invested or spent their money. Yeah. And so they don't have the money to pay taxes or yeah. nor do they want to. Who does want to pay taxes? Nobody does. And so they write off every cent that they can. And then they come and say, can I get a loan? And it's like, well, looks like you made two grand last year. And that's where in the past your mortgages guys like, hey, don't write off so much. Like, yes, show me a, you at least make 75 grand a year. Yes. Or whatever. Yes. So yes. now. Yeah, with this product, that's just not an issue. It's just not an issue. It's, that's it's, incredible. It's literally as long as you're willing to pay the upfront, but you have to kind of understand the upfront concept too. Uh, so that so, so the other product is the exact same. It's just an investment. It's just an investment property. Sure. So um, it's uh, the financials of the investment property itself. With this one, yeah. What the, what's the difference? Because now we're not looking at those financials. And we're not looking at their personal income history. This the the investment one. There's a few caveats. Okay. Um, a it has to be an investment property. It's an adjustable rate mortgage, but it's fixed for five years. And so you can refi in five years. So you can refi in five years. Yes. The investment one, however, is, is there's an what's considered there's an early payoff penalty, meaning that you you can't refinance in that first five years. So the yeah. investor is saying, well, no, we want to collect that interest that we gave you. Because again, they, it has to be worth it for them. Yeah, they, they're just saying, hey, this is our product. Yeah. We want to collect the interest for the five years. And at that point, you can sell it. And the early payoff penalty, it does tear down. So every year you keep it, the penalty gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Like the fourth year, it's like a quarter of a percent, which isn't very much. So it, and, and so it might make sense still to refi and just pay the quarter percent fee 
because you're going to get a 3% better rate or whatever. And so, but that's it. So that's the only one I know of that allows you to actually show no documents for uh, income or assets. You just come to the closing table with your down payment and the closing costs and you get the loan. Um, super easy, can be done in like five days as opposed to like 30 days with a normal loan or three weeks, whatever a normal loan is. Uh, so it's a great, mm. it's a great investment option. And then the, and then the other one, the, the stated income owner occupied property is also really great for guys who just don't want to pay taxes. And so when, so I, I, the people I have told about it, when I say, Hey, that upfront cost might be 3% and they say, Ugh. I'm like, well, you didn't pay taxes last year. So you're talking like you buy a $400,000 house in Georgia or Florida sure. or whatever, and you're going to rent it out and make all this money. And you, you know, you, you, how much did you save on taxes last year? 12 grand. Okay. Well, now you can get a property for yeah. that 12 grand and you get a property that's actually creating cash flow. So with all these products, though, obviously, I still think there needs to be an analysis. It needs to be the right property. Sure. It won't always make sense to do it. Yeah. But I definitely think it creates a lot more opportunities for people who, you know, couldn't otherwise get loans. Couldn't before, otherwise right? get loans. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two amazing products. And for me, I've just seen it. It's just a paradigm shift. I think like the same paradigm sometimes I see with people like they make more income. They're like, no, I don't want to pay more taxes. I'm like, well, you're making more money. Yeah. That's just yeah. part of it, right? Yeah. Yes. You're getting a loan that you wouldn't have otherwise got. Yeah. So, yeah, you're you're going to pay for a little bit. Yeah. But that's allowing you to make more money. Yeah. And yep. so it's just a paradigm shift. But I think people that have multiple investments, it's not a big deal. Yeah. But if it's your first couple, it's usually you're talking with them and spending more time on yeah, those for topics. Sure. It, it, uh, when you start out, and I was there, you yeah, were probably there. For sure. When you start out, you do look at those, those, those pennies. Like, I need to save every penny I can. But now when you get out the emotion and all this extra fear of that payment and you just see, hey, look, I'm getting a property now. I'm going to yeah. walk into this cash flowing deal and you just have a little more confidence in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those, those little bit higher interest rate and the fees suddenly become less important because you're saying, oh, yeah, I'll pay two, three percent and and get that property that gives me a cash flow net positive of 30 grand a year and forget it. I'll get that back in six months. And then everything after that is just gravy. Yeah. So, no, it's just experience is what gets you comfortable with it. This last weekend I was with a group and one of the guys was looking at a three and a half million dollar property down in St. George. I think it's one of the first ones massive. I think it's like nine or 10 bedrooms. And he's like, I just don't know if it'll check out for me personally. I'm like, that'll check out all day. Like what's it running for a night? Two grand, right? Two grand a night. It doesn't take very many nights to cover the monthly mortgage on that. Yeah. But I've had a property down there. And I mean, our property sometimes was hitting 40, 50 K in a month. So it's like, didn't matter if the mortgage was six grand or nine grand, like, but that was just for me. And I've gone through it and I know which areas cause we travel there a lot. Yeah. So I know which areas are popular. And so it's just that experience. I think like a lot of advice I heard that helped me with real estate is you just got to get in the game. Yeah. Whether it's single family, multifamily, nightly rental, whatever, just get in the game. Cause that's where you'll start learning you. The spreadsheet can only do so much for you yeah. crunching numbers. And then some experience is for, at least for me is what helps me bridge that gap. Yeah. But Austin, thanks for coming on. If somebody uh, is interested, like how could they get a hold of you? What's the best way to get in touch? Uh, good question. Probably just text me. Is that 
Yeah. Is that what if you, you want to give your number or if yeah. social media or your website or um, I don't know, like if a typical referral is coming at you, how do you like it? I usually just find me on LinkedIn. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Austin Ingersoll, and what's the group you're with? Uh, we call ourselves the A-Team. We work at Security National Mortgage Company. Awesome. Okay, Austin, thanks. So, yeah. Yeah.